Smartcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I built wealth, I, I built riches, but I was unhappy. I was a shit father, I was a crap husband, I, I everything. And then he passed away and, and I, it was the worst day of my life, but it was also the best day of my life because there was a lesson in it. And that's most of the time I think, if you can find a beautiful lesson in your worst moment, that's true responsibility, which gets you true power. Welcome to Think Business with Tyler, sharing our methods and strategies for success. Join in on our conversations with business owners as we highlight their triumphs and detail how they overcame the challenges they faced while continuing to grow and scale their business. It's time to think life, think success, and think business with your host, Tyler Martin. Hey guys, today we have Preston Brown joining us on the podcast. He's a seasoned entrepreneur with 19 ventures generating over $200 million annually. In this episode, you'll learn how to shift from chasing money to having it come to you. Why seeing challenges as opportunities can change the game and the crucial role of customer feedback for growing your business. Let's hear from Preston now. Hey, Preston, welcome to the Think Business with Tyler podcast show. How's it going today? Amazing, Tyler. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. Hey, I wanted to get right into it. I wanted to learn a little bit about you. So maybe we could start out with you sharing uh, what you do for a living, just a little bit about yourself. Sure, yeah. Well, uh, I automate companies for a living now. And uh, like my pastime, somebody asked me my hobby the other day, and I coach other people on their companies and then hang out with my wife and kids and, and then travel. So that's what I do for a living and a life. Start, I think, came, you know, when I was seven years old. My dad, beautiful guy, got cheated. That caused one of the first fights. We had a lot of love and no money. And he, he opened a business, got cheated. And sure enough, like that, as I watched it, made money the meaning of life. That went on for many years. Lost dad after chasing money, chasing business, getting rich in 2019 and regretted it massively. Wished I'd spent my times with him rather than chasing money. Completely curbed my focuses around, shifted, went away from scaling, went away from building, went away from structuring, and moved into automating, which involves all those things, but it's not just all those things. There's other steps to it. And what was really funny is I'd been chasing money the entire time, and as soon as I went to automation, which is kind of this magic step where the money starts chasing you, and it's a way better process. That's hilarious. So there's so much there. So when you say your father got cheated, could you elaborate a little bit on that, just out of curiosity? Yeah, I grew up in a little trailer park in Candidio, and of course, there was the life we had, which was hardworking guy, like, you know, everything he had, he made with his hands. I mean, beautiful family, lots of love, and we we watched these lives on TV, and 
you know, he started uh, doing some side work uh, for some wealthy people. And so we got to see a little bit of their lives. He was like, wait a minute, I can open a business. I can, I can do what I'm doing for other people with this job where they're paying me, I don't know what he was making, 10 bucks an hour, 12 bucks an hour, whatever you'd pay like a metallurgical engineer that didn't have the engineer education, just was hard knocks, right? So fractions of what you'd get if you had a degree. And he's like, I can open a business and I'm doing what all the engineers charge Buku for. And he had one major client that worked him a lot, worked him a lot. He didn't understand how to bill, how to collect, how to charge, none of those things. And of course, the, the debt stacked up. And there was more owed, more owed. My mom lost her job. We were already poor. Money ran out real quick. The fight came. You know, we never had fights. There was never fights. And I, I remember, I don't remember everything that was said, but I remember it was loud. And I remember one of those cast iron frying pans, big thick ones, like full eyes at the wall of our trailer. And uh, lodged it there for a second, clanked to the floor. Of course, I'm, I think I'm seven years old, six years old. And I'm looking like, what the hell is going on? Yeah. And I do remember these words. A real man can feed his family. Go collect what you're owed or don't come home. Wow. And I was the charity case. I rode up with him. I went to a house not far from the house I used to live in. And uh, my dad met with this guy. My dad's six foot four. This other guy's five foot nine. My dad could kill this guy with a napkin, right? And it goes from what I knew was going to happen to something different, which is how every story goes. I, I knew my dad was going to like go in there, demand what he was owed. Yeah. And, and it didn't go that way. It went from asking to almost, almost groveling. Mm -hmm. And the guy pulled some cash out of his wallet and handed it to my dad. But it, I mean, it might have been 50 bucks, 100 bucks. I, I don't know how much it was. It wasn't a lot. Right. And we drove down to a Smith's. It's an Albertsons now. And we, uh, we I, I rode back with a box of ramen noodles on my lap. My, my dad shut down his business the next day, got a job, gave up on his dreams. He chose to be my mom's husband. He chose to be my father. And he gave up on money. And that that curbed me, man. I mean, that that sent me into this like watching your hero get like smashed, effectively. Yeah. And uh, it, it curbed me, and it made money the meaning of life. And I became the most corporate, inauthentic piece of shit asshole you'd ever meet in your life. I, if you thought Donald Trump was an asshole, you would have hated me. I I probably did. You're fired more times than he did. I built wealth. I, I built riches, but I was unhappy. I was a shit father. I was a crap husband. I, I everything. And then and then he passed away and. It was the worst day of my life, but it was also the best day of my life because there was a lesson in it. And that's most of the time, I think, if you can find a beautiful lesson in your worst moment, that's true responsibility, which gives you true power. And I looked around on my family and all these other people that I loved. And I was a love bug. I just had this shell that I built around money being the meaning of life. And I was like, man, I want to spend time with these people. I hated myself. I was mad at God. I was mad at him for leaving. And then I realized, I was like, I'm chasing money. And it doesn't mean shit. My dad was right. He gave up on money immediately. And, and, and that's why he was my hero. He was the best dad imaginable. And, you know, I didn't want to give up the businesses. I learned a lot about, you know, formulate business development, growth, all this. And so I was like, well, I wonder if I can automate these. I wonder if instead of worrying about scaling and the next big thing, what if I can create a regenerative growth machine? And my mom was always a psychology gal. Like she eventually did really well, went to school, like uh, got her degree, became a, a counselor and a therapist and worked in the school districts. And, and, and she would always say, figure out the game, you'll learn how to win. And that, that has been one of the most true statements in my life. This is a game. There's always a game. If you play by the rules and you learn the patterns, you can not just like learn the patterns and do well, but eventually like you can start creating the patterns. Like, like everybody's heard like, you know, think outside of the box, right? Well, you know, the presupposition there is if you're inside the box, you're a little dumber than the guy that thinks outside of the box. Well, there's another level. What if you could build boxes for other people to think in? 
And there's this whole secret to automation when you start diving into this that becomes this clarity and this power and, and also a, a huge, I'm just going to say value add for everybody around you. I mean, it, when you're creating better products and you're creating great cultures where, where people just absolutely love their work, love what they're doing, you know, that's going to emanate out. The customers are going to love the product because they love working with the people. They love the the results of the product or the service. Like, like as you're creating things, like I, I think about it, I mean, I'm, I'm Christian. I don't push my religion on anybody. In fact, sometimes I'm a little scared when somebody says I'm Christian because I'm like, oh, what do you want? I'm but like, but like, uh, like I'm, I'm Christian. And, and one of the things that I, I, one of my favorite lines in the good book is I made you in my image. And I'm like, okay, so if you made me in my, in your image, then, then creating things is what I should be doing. I shouldn't be earning things. I should be creating things. So I look at earning money as slavery and creating wealth. Because that's what I think God did yeah. as the way that we should all try to find a way to be in not necessarily just wealth. I mean, you know, some people need to go create happiness. Some people create art. Some people create music. You're a business guy, create wealth. Sure. There's a couple of questions for you, man. There's just so much to unpack here. I want to go back to the life event that triggered for you a change. So when you, unfortunately, the passing of your dad, I hear this a lot where a successful business owners oftentimes, that's who I mostly talk to, have some type of life event that put them on a totally different trajectory. It like, you know, just takes them out of the, where they were going. Why do you think that is? I'm just curious. Like, what do you think like triggers in us that we have to have something kind of shake us a little bit and then it re- makes us reevaluate so, to some degree who we are? Well, let me answer that because you said it in a very specific way and I want to hit it. Sure. Why do business owners have that? And, and here's what I'm going to tell yeah. you. I think everyone has that. Sure. I think business owners react better to it. And, and the reason why is business owners are more used to problems, okay? We, we have a big problem in our world, and that's that we think we shouldn't have any problems. You know, I think problems are gifts. I think a sale, if a company makes a sale, it's a solution to somebody's problem. That's why they buy it. I mean, people only buy things to improve their life or get out of pain, which improves their life, right? So every sale is a solution, which means every lack of sale, there's a problem that still exists. Business owners, entrepreneurs are constantly dealing with problems. So when we have problems, we underwrite them a little differently than people who are not entrepreneurs who don't understand risk and reward and the relationships between them. And so we business owners look at problems and many times often find the the gift, the silver lining behind that failure. I mean, I, I think, you know, there's two meanings of life that kind of marry each other, right? And and one is love is the meaning of life, and the other is problems are gifts. And and it's it's almost this paradoxical thing, like, but but I mean, almost going back to my faith, like if God liked us, why would he send us here? <laughs> you know, the good book says God loves you. Why, why would he send us here? Where, where you know, the leading cause of death for women over the last 40,000 years was childbirth. So that means children are problems and the best moments in life are overcoming adversity and adversity is another word for problems. And, and if we do go to heaven, when we die, we have to die to get there. So that's a freaking problem. So you're like, wait, what the fuck? Why, if you liked me, why would you send me from the perfect place here? And what if it was to figure out a way to be loving despite problems? And I think entrepreneurs get more practice having problems and we learn and we're rewarded by having problems and learning that on the other side of that problem, we just push through it's a little further. There might be something we can learn, earn, or, or create out of it. But we all know that without soil, you're not going to grow a garden. And if we get real politically incorrect and, and think about it, soil is shit. So that mustard seed of faith we need to get to the next level has to be planted in a pile of shit. And the pile of shit makes us who we are. Right. Yeah, it makes total sense. So I want to set the table here. 
you either you so you've had 18 businesses. I don't think you have them currently all 18, but I know you have no, no, I have 19 now. You have 19 now. Sorry. <laughs> so yeah, you do no, have 19. No, you're good, you're good. So I kind of want to set the table on uh on the 19 businesses. And then where I want to take this, because I know people are on the edge of their seat trying to understand this automation thing. So I want to kind of break that down into who does that apply to? Is that all businesses? And then obviously automation is probably the end result. I kind of want to get to what are the steps to get to automation. But before I do that, let's talk about your 19 businesses, which is blows my mind because I think it really gives you a lot of credibility as we get into this automation stuff. What type of 19 businesses do you run? And just kind of tell me a little bit about how do you even get to 19 businesses? So, I mean, look, it's evolution, not revolution. Okay. I did not start with 19 businesses. I I meet people all the time. They're like, oh yeah, I have six businesses. And I'm like, okay, are you making any money? <laughs> and they're like that parent that was a shit parent that, hey, I'm a shitty parent. I'll have more kids. Wrong idea. Okay. So like, and I did that too. And I made that same mistake. And I, I wound up with like seven businesses and one made money. And I was feeding six. And I was like, ah, it's always like bouncing depending on where the economy went. And, and then I went backwards and I really focused on one. And I got one really big. And, and my largest is a home building company. And everybody talks about vertical integration. Okay. Well, there's also horizontal integration. So I don't only own, it's not the one I started with, but I started my home building company. I bought it five years ago. It was a failed business. And I, I used my formulas to put it together. All my other businesses were partnerships and this, that, and the other. And I, I automated them to a point, but I, I couldn't push necessarily my partners to go to where I wanted to go. So I was like, wait, man, I'm good at this. I want to do this. And I, I bought this home building company and we just blew up. Like we're now the largest home builder in El Paso, Texas. We're building not more units, but more square footage than anyone. And our profit margins, according to our lenders, are about 5x what our competitors are. And I have enough friends and clients at the billionaire level that I know how to invest properly and avoid taxation, which gives me a lot of abilities to reinvest more in my business, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, compounding. That has turned into being able to really do well with a real estate brokerage, a title company, a materials distribution company, a home warranty insurance company, a hard money lending company, a couple of different funding companies, the hard money lending companies, a brokerage, I've got funding companies. So I've got all these like vertical and horizontal integrations. Like, And then sometimes you just have fun. Like I opened a travel and events company. And let's see, uh, I've got my picture here of me was one of my mentors in the past, Tony Robbins, and I've got a letter next to it. I wish I could grab it and I'll show it to you where they actually sued me because I guess I became a competitor. I never intended to piss them off, but like, you, you know, you just, you just do all these things that you're kind of vertically and horizontally integrating everything. Like there's always a need. One time I had a pool issue. Like I'm a builder, right? So I was like, I want a pool in my personal home. I hired a pool contractor. Like I didn't finish. It was COVID. It was like nine months in. So I was like, all right, bro, you're fired. And I finished the pool. And then I tried to find a guy to service my pool. And they were as disorganized as all the pool contractors. So I was like, all right, I'm starting a pool servicing company. Now I have like the premier pool servicing company. Two years later, we've got a couple hundred accounts, a couple hundred clients. Like we've got a software, we've got a team, we've got a bunch of trucks. I put 150 grand out, it's spitting out 10 grand a month. So with 150 grand invested, I'm making 120 a year. It's not a lot to brag about, but that's not a bad ROI considering my pool is serviced really well. My clients are happy. And one day we'll turn that into a company that actually builds pools, which will really go well with the home building company. Yeah. So it's as you make money here, you might as well compound it in other areas that were, are related to it. If you have the ability to structure it well, to have great people, to organize things. I mean, businesses are made up of like six different decision buckets, right? Like any problem you have is going to wind up in uh, a problem with price, product, people, place, promotion, or process. Those are the things you can adjust. I'm always measuring in a business culture, clarity, capacity, and cash, and then adjusting one of those 
things. And then when I'm measuring culture, clarity, capacity, cash, I'm looking for alignment, simplicity, path of least resistance, and foresight, or, or if it's a large company, forecasting, like sometimes economic data. But those three things I'll track up to just be efficiency. <laughs> I mean, efficiency is the single greatest goal in a business. There's no such thing as a recession if you are efficient. And so my companies all grow during recessions. It's I love recessions. Like when everybody else is held down, I rise up because I don't have to deal with all the loud competition that doesn't understand that it's called a firm. A business is called a firm. And what they really have is limps. I mean, if it's called a limp, trust me, your customer ain't happy. <laughs> Try it with your wife. A limp will never get you as far as a firm, right? So, I mean, you start thinking about this, like, like, and Warren Buffett, I think, said it best. When the tide goes out, you find out who's wearing, you know, yeah. swimsuits or not. And so efficiency is the key, but efficiency is different at every stage. So I built these seven stages, Tyler, of entrepreneurship, yeah. where I started realizing, oh, wait, you know what? There, there's this kind of stage right here where in, in the beginning, like people can't get off the boat. They can't jump off the fence. They can't dive in. They have mindset issues. Once we overcome that, then then at that stage, at that entrepreneur stage, we get them into the startup phase. Well, the startup phase, so we have to have an efficiency of knowing that th three things, you know what? There's gold out there. I can get it. And it's worth it. Like the, the price I'm going to pay is worth it. Like if you can, if you can get to those three different points, that's going to get their mindset solved. They're going to take action. Then you get into startup. You know, startups don't make money. <laughs> they just don't. Like everybody's like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start a business, be free. No, you're not. Like, like you can get there, but it's a staircase and you have to walk every step. Like if there's seven steps on a staircase, if you do that in one step, you're doing the splits. And that's if you're tall. You know, so so that's not a way of traveling. That's a way of falling back down, right? Right. And so the startup has to get an efficiency in how do I get the most value projected out, find the right niche customer, learn the litmus test of a company, which is I must be productive, I must be profitable, and it must be my purpose. Like and when when it's your purpose, you're passionate about it. When you're passionate about it, it'll actually work. Like like everybody will go say, Oh, you gotta hustle your way to success. Dude, you don't have passion, you will not hustle. Right. And so so period. So it's it's gotta be those three things. If it hits those three litmus test items. Your startup will work. You'll find that right niche customer. You'll, you'll probably find two or three or 10, and you'll need to refine back from a few. You'll have the right value proposition product. And then you'll start making a little money. It might be depending on the type of business and how much is needed to put into your balance sheet. Like, oh, you know, your pool servicing company, we're going to need to buy 10 trucks. Okay, well, it's COVID. Trucks cost 20 grand each. You're either going to stair step that up or put in a couple hundred grand or borrow money or whatever, right? So, like, there's pieces that you have to put in. Some businesses are all service business. There's not a need to buy equipment or get get materials to manufacture or something. So it's literally like, how many houses can I sell if I'm a realtor? Well, it's uh, can you make a good sales pitch? Great. Okay, then then you can get ten listings. There's no cost other than you driving to that other listing and spending your time and having a better pitch than the next guy. Okay, so that business is way easier to scale without the cost, and you can make it profitable faster. But anyway, so once you start getting profit, you get out of that startup phase, which is step two. Then you go to the operational entrepreneur stage. Hey, wow, I'm making some money, but I'm not free. I have a job. In fact, this is like slave labor because you thought you were getting here for freedom. You're working 18 hours a day. You have mastered the art of being exceptional, right? And you have to be exceptional to get into business, but you have to be optimized to stay in the business. So at this stage, the problem you're solving is how do I optimize? How do I not be the crap parent that has too many kids and then gets pulled in way too many directions, chasing every opportunity? How do I refine down a little bit and say, okay, well, these are my three niche customers. Okay, well, this is how I tune my product. I probably made this product more for me. Now I really have to go tune it to you. How do I recognize that this is not just a spectator sport where it's me, but maybe a team sport, I need to get some people. How do I figure out that, oh, wait, my people are also customers. Like I may be paying 
you know, my customer with a great product and they give me money, but I'm paying these people with money and they should give me a great, you know, effort with their time and energy and outputs and all that. So you start creating a system, a process, a tool, but it's new. Then you go to the next step, which is entrepreneurial. That's where you generally hired like a low-level manager. I call him a do, a director of operations. And now, great, you, you've made it. You've got an office. You've got a manager. You've got a team. You've got all this stuff, but you probably have the same revenue you had back here. So you also got a pay cut. And so now you have to master scaling. So you go into what I call the operational bankpreneur. There's normally a pivot at this. Like you might be the home flipper that goes to the hard money lender. You might be the home flipper that becomes the builder, whatever. So there's normally a pivot. And then you have to master scaling. So when you master scaling, you're like, okay, I've, I've scaled my capacity by adding these people, adding these offices, all these expenses. I've got more throughput available to me. Now I need to scale sales because more people equals more time, more energy, more ability to output, but I'm not outputting more. If I don't do it quick, I'm going to get a culture of laziness. And then I would fire a lot of people, hire them again, and it's a start over. You don't want that. So you have to get them busy fast. So it's scale sales. Okay. Next one is scaling brand. And everybody's like, oh, well, how do I scale brand? It sounds expensive. No, dude, scaling brand is literally a second stage to sales. And when you scale sales, you create a regenerative growth process in it. So you're not just put the sales team in place and put the marketing in place and measure your cost of customer acquisition and do, do all the things you should do. I'm going very fast because there's a lot, but that's okay. <laughs> but then you scale brand and it's going back and you're looking at, okay, why did you buy my product or why did you buy somebody else's product? So you're looking at your leads that bought and your ones that didn't buy. And you're saying, hey, thank you so much. Thank you so much. And then you're tuning your product, your service, your sales, all that to scale brand. Scaling brand will actually double your sales normally. And it'll at least increase it by a significant percentage. Because now not only are you marketing and selling, which get loud, get attention, get sales, great. But you're also figuring out, well, why didn't you buy, which will get you more customers. And just talking to them gets you referrals. So you're adding all these little sales pieces by scaling the brand and improving and showing you care. Nobody cares how much you know, they care how much you care, right? So then you go next and you scale margin. This is so simple. <laughs> if you're a business owner feeling stuck in your business, overwhelmed, responsible for everything that happens and working long hours, Tyler helps his clients develop processes, hire high-performing team members, and better understand their financial metrics and numbers to allow for a more predictable, less hands-on business. To schedule a free, no-pressure consultation, head to thinktyler.com and click the meeting button. Tyler would love to see if he can help you work on your business, not in your business. Schedule a consultation today at thinktyler.com. Think life, think success, think business. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and... 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Well, why didn't you buy, which will get you more customers, and just talking to them gets you referrals. So you're adding all these little sales pieces by scaling the brand and improving and showing you care. Nobody cares how much you know, they care how much you care, right? So then you go next and you scale margin. This is so simple. <laughs>
So, so wait, Tama, let me ask you a couple of questions. So when you say scale brand in your mind, is it like uh, social media, getting your presence out all the place? Well, get, define that a little bit, if you don't mind. Just So the reason I love recessions is feedback, okay? Okay. And most people are scared of feedback. They don't want to hear. It's true. I love yeah. reviews. Like if you give me a negative review on one of my companies today, you will have somebody reach out. Like they will find out. And, and look, maybe we deserve an apology. Maybe you're a narcissistic asshole. I don't know what the situation is, but right. you gave me a review. You gave me feedback. You paid, you spent your attention on that computer screen and that cell phone screen to let me know how I did. Well, scaling your brand is getting and acting on feedback, whether it's good feedback, whether it's bad feedback, and more than that, putting a regenerative growth process into it. Look, let me show you something. Like, I'm, I'm a bit of a health nut, right? Yeah. So I have an Apple phone. Like, Apple okay. is so good at brand. If I click this three times, notice it went red. Yep. That red light is something they did for all their health nut customers that don't want white light at night because it disrupts your circadian rhythm and your sleep and this, that, and the other. And so they got feedback at some point from somebody and made it possible with a real simple hack to turn your screen red to not disrupt your sleep because they knew that niche customer wanted that. Right. Does that make sense? And yeah. this makes me a raving fan to the point that now I make fun of people that don't have apples. Like people I love, I'm like, did you ride a horse to work, dude? Huh? Yeah. Do you still use candles for lighting? Why would you buy that droid? Because even though in many ways droids are better, yeah, that Apple phone to me is so much higher quality because they hit my needs. Not that they're better in all these computer savvy ways or whatever. That might be somebody's needs, but my needs. So brand is feedback. Then you go after that. And I hope I answered your question. You did. You did. Great. You go to scaling margin. Now, margin is so easy. It's so easy. Once more people are coming to you, you need to raise the price. Why? Right. Because your people are busier and people expect to pay more for better products. And if they know you care, they'll pay more. Like, I think I pay a thousand to fifteen hundred bucks every time I buy an Apple phone. My buddy in Israel was like, Holy smokes, that's a lot of money for a phone. Like, you can buy this for like 600, this for like 200. And I was like, Yeah, but I wouldn't buy that. Like, I have a higher standard than that pile of crap Chinese phone you're talking. And, you know, he's one of my best friends. I respect him for buying his pile of crap phone, but it's a pile of crap. I wouldn't buy that. I will buy the thing that I expect to pay more for. Okay. So scaling margin is just raising the price. It does not cost them 1500 bucks to make my cheap phone in China. Look, Mr. Cook is a smart guy. He understands scaling brand. He meets my needs, raises the price, increases his throughput. And then you go last, okay? So you go sales, brand, margin, which is just raising the price and then measuring what that did to your sales and your brand and seeing how much more capacity you need and how much more you need to add, okay? And the last, you go back to capacity. And this is really the one where you're like, okay, well, we might have some processes that we need to refine down. Everybody thinks that we're going to build this big, efficient business. That is a lie. That is a dumb thing to think. You're going to build a big, inefficient business, and you're going to refine it down. So part of scaling capacity is, hey, that employee's not working. I'm going to measure them. I'm going to try to improve them. If they don't work out, I'm going to let them go. I tell all my employees, like, dude, if you went to Walmart and bought a TV, and you paid for that TV, and it didn't work, would you return it? They're like, yeah. So I've given you less than 10 things that I need executed really well, and you get to make 50 or 100 grand a year or whatever for these 10 things that I want to execute really well. I'm not going to go put a million things on your job description. I don't need to tell you to put your fucking pants on. I have 10 really good things, sometimes five, and you're going to make this money. If you don't do this, I don't want you to be mad at me if I return you no different than you would with that TV. I will release you back to the market, and you can go not do shit for some other idiot that will pay you because I'm not going to pay you for not doing what you should be doing, what you've agreed to do. And so... In capacity, you're measuring who's doing what they should be doing. Is the product working well? 
Do you need to maybe add a few people? Like, like sometimes it's just like, hey, man, I'm doing more than I can. Who needs to be promoted? Like, which people are setting a new standard? And so you kind of go back and you measure all your people. There are those who try to manage, Tyler, and then there are leaders. Leaders measure. <laughs> leaders don't manage. Leaders measure. Like the, the presupposition of I will manage somebody is I'm better than you. I don't think I'm better than anyone. Like my pocketbook might be bigger, but that's based on my decision-making ability, not me being better. I think God made us equal, but I measure like a maniac. I, I'm maniacal about measuring. I'm maybe OCD about it at some points, but but it actually helps me improve. Right. But then I also love people. So I'm like, okay, how can I improve? Well, making sure you improve. And so you, you keep doing these four steps. And this is what's called the operational megapreneur stage, right? And you grow and you grow and you grow and you grow. And one day, and you're always seeing like top line goes up and you'll see expenses go a little bit, but not substantially in most companies. And you'll see profit go up, top line goes up, profit goes up, top line goes up, profit goes up. Expenses are marginally going up. One day you're going to see top line go up and expenses are going to go up a lot and margins not going to go up a lot. And that's an indicator. That's like, hey, welcome to the next stage. Don't keep growing. Stop, shut up, wait. Now it's time to add your replacements in. It's time to start really replacing yourself. Okay, you've got a DO, but this is the point where you're going into the megapreneur phase. You're scaling this business to what like some people would call it like prime. Some people would call it the zone of optimization, whatever. But you're going to do a megapreneur phase where you are a commanding force in the market. And it is time to start getting C-suite executives. Like you now need a CFO because all the, the only reason the expenses went up is because leaky buckets started happening too much. You're putting too much on the plate. So you need a CFO. You need, like, like your, your bookkeeper probably doesn't cut it anymore. You might need a COO. Like, don't go get a CEO. Okay? That's, the, that's the worst thing you can do. I love when people are like, I have 20 employees. I got a CEO. I'm like, so a CEO stands for chief executive officer. How many of your 20 people are fucking executives? Like, wake up. Like, hello. <laughs> like, I, don't, I don't mean to be an asshole, but right. like, I get you're paying them with a title. But if you call them an operations officer versus an executive officer, like it's still a great title. Right. Okay? right. And the only titles that really matter is the ones on the LLC, manager, secretary, like, come on. Right. So, so already the title's the title, like you're, you're paying them well. But go get your C-suite executives and you get into this Megner phase. And this phase is amazing. Congratulations. You've made it. You are rich now. You can go buy the Ferrari and pay for it cash. You can go and, like, I own two airplanes. I'm looking at buying a third. I have 3,000 apartment units. Megapreneur is amazing. But you have a new problem. At every stage previous to this, you had these things called expenses. And expenses are beautiful because the government's like, oh, yeah, you can write that off. Right. That's not your profit. And so you haven't felt rich in business until you got to Megapreneur. All of a sudden, you are rich. You have a new business partner. His initials are IRS, which I think stands for Internal Revenue Service. But the first time you pay them, you're going to think it stands for I really suck because they took half your shit and regulated you like hell. And at that point, you're like, oh, my God, what do I do? And then, then, then you, there's one more stage. And, when, and you go from megapreneur to what's called investor philanthropist. And this is where you kind of go through a mindset shift. And this is such a beautiful stage. Your mindset shift goes to, wow, I built something. I created something magical and beautiful. And it's adding a lot of value. And I'm making a lot of profit. And I'm looking at all these government guys that are taking half my money, and I just don't agree with them. Like, I don't really like Trump, and I don't really like Biden. I think they're both narcissistic assholes. I think politics means poly, multiple ticks, blood-sucking arachnids. Why am I giving them 40% of my shit? Like, I can go with the same million or several million dollars I'm going to give them and vaccinate all the kids in Peru. I can go and put shoes on, on kids that wouldn't be able to walk to school. Otherwise. I, I can go do amazing things charitably. And so you start thinking, how much can I give? And how can I stop giving so much to people that are literally just creating toxicity and hate? 
in mass using literally media and they're creating global pain and like they, there's more of a pandemic of hatred than there ever was with COVID, right? And, and and I don't think COVID was great. So you start thinking, wait a minute, all my billionaire friends invest in political campaigns. <laughs> and then later they get favors put into the tax code, like bonus depreciation, like vehicles over 6,000 pounds, like all of these little things, like tax abatements, like oil and gas leasing. There's all sorts of new stuff with that uh, inflation reduction plan, which I think is the Green New Deal, where there's like, you can invest in stuff that's like clean energy and there's going to be a lot of tax breaks. Like we're getting a lot of information on new tax breaks coming up about that. Like, so politicians bury stuff in the tax code because they need rich people to pay for the stuff that they can't afford because governments are always broke. That's why they run on deficits, not because they're rich. And you start thinking, okay, well, I'll invest in these things, which secures long-term wealth, and it also protects your employees and staff and customers and everything else because that makes you more stable. It, it eliminates fragility and increases stability and, and makes to where in a recession, hey, no problem. I'll just refinance that apartment community. I'll keep my employees going. No problem. Tax-free wealth event, right? And it also gives you the ability to turn around and say, hey, you know what? Like our five-year goal with my home building company right now is we want to give 50% of our income to charities we believe in. Wow. 50%. Like we're not like, hey, 10% tithe. We want to give 50% away. So we're like, okay, well, we, we got to the biggest in our first five years. October is literally our five years. So we actually beat our goal. Now in our next five years, we want to give half of our income to charity wow. and be the highest paying. But before we get there, we need to make sure we have as much money on our balance sheet as we do on debt. So if we have... 30 million in debt. We want 30 million in the balance sheet. That way we've reinvested in the company. We're completely stable because that's one of those things about trajectory and growth is you want your debt and your balance sheet to match, right? And, and then you're not subject to inefficient issues during recessions or banks worrying about you, et cetera. So we're like, okay, well, let's balance that. And then we're giving half to charity. And so that's like our new goal. Then you can start saying, instead of how much can I make, you can say, how much can I give? Right. And this investor philanthropist stage, I mean, it's a fun stage because Every man, I think, at, at the late stages in its life, and late stages doesn't have to mean age, late stages just can mean success, you start teaching other men. Like, you start showing other men and women, like, here's how we do it. Like, you can do it too. Like, like anyone can do this. It's a formula. It's so fucking easy that, like, like it's the reason that all rich people write books. They're like, just do this and this and this and this and this, and you're rich too. And then there's people who are like, money won't buy you happiness. And I'm like, why are you arguing? Do you think poverty is a good idea? That's a stupid fucking argument. Like, who cares? It doesn't matter. It buys you happiness. I get time. I fucked up so big on money because I missed years that I could have with my dad. Now I get to dedicate my life to giving it back, giving time back to other people so they can have compelling relationships with the people they love. It's the most amazing fucking gift on the planet is to have compelling relationships, like to be joyful, not miserable, not to have pain and, you know, faith, family, fitness, or finance, but to have joy in all of these, regardless of the problems life throws at you. Like I threw my back out last week. So, you know, my wife was like, oh my God, are you okay? I was like, yeah, dude, my millionaire friends invited me to their 6,000 square foot houseboat to a mastermind where they brought their quarter million dollar surf boat. And I got to learn how to surf. Like this is the best way to throw out your fucking back on the planet. <laughs> like, I mean, I just bought a lake house and, and and I want to buy a boat. I now know which boat I'm buying. I know know a lot more stuff. And yes, I threw my back out, but I've thrown my back out 20 times. I can put it back. I can fix that. My gosh, what a compelling experience. Like, like problems are gifts. I want better problems. 
Like, I hope, I hope, I hope for all the broke people out there that you could throw your back out on Lake Powell learning how to surf from your fucking millionaire friends. Like, I hope you have that problem. <laughs> hey, I got a couple more questions. Yeah. So let's wrap up on the automation thing. I think you've covered pieces of it. What defines the automation of the business? Is it all these steps that we talked about? Or is there some way you can summarize that for us? Because I'm just so dying to hear that part. Yeah. So automation is when your your business becomes an asset. Okay. And so those steps are the staircase to automation because your C-suite executives are your replacements. Got it. Like I now have a CEO, a CEO replaces me. Now, it doesn't mean I'm gone. Like I'm still a co-CEO because I have certain gifts. My CEO has certain gifts. But I have bought back my time. I can pay that person hundreds of thousands a year plus bonuses of up to millions a year. And, and they run everything. And I don't have to do it. But they have C-suite executives under them, management teams under them, like teams under them, you know, measurable KPIs every week and every month that they're looking. So there's processes. And, and I mean, I think the meaning of business for most people is, is, is not to go create a job. It's, it's to go create an asset. Like, if you think about it, everybody's always worried, oh, how do I make more money? Okay, well, you know, go flip a home, right? So here's a fun one. I'll give you a fun one. You go flip a home. You go buy a home for 150 grand. You put 50 grand into it. You sell it for 300, pay your commissions, closing costs, whatever. You probably made 70 grand, right? Not a bad, not a bad deal. Not a bad deal for 200 grand to make 70. Maybe it was a six-month, one-year turn, right? What happens if you go take a failing business and you learn these seven steps and you execute on them really well? My home building company five years ago, this is a five-year plan, not a one-year plan. Okay, I don't want anybody to think it's a get-rich-quick scheme because five years, that's not quick. Go work a 40-year fucking job. Do, do, it, do it that way. Don't do the five-year get-rich-quick scheme like me. Okay, You go buy the failing company. I got paid 50 grand to take my company. I absorbed 300000 in debt. I call it these seven steps. Okay, That company right now, projected over the next year, can make $30 million. If we do everything right, if I go look at sales of existing companies that have sold similar to mine, I can exit on six times EBITDA. So what, what does that mean? It's a $200 million company. So would you rather get paid 50 grand to make 200 million for five years of work? And I, I'll probably never sell it because I have fun with it and I don't believe in selling either. But if you're trying to get rich, get a business and be good at it. I think everyone in life, if, if you want to automate anything, the single greatest thing you need to learn is how to learn. Because in every business, you're going to learn different things from different folks. And it's, it's going to be this process and this journey and this kind of conundrum of, oh my gosh, what happened now? What? You're telling me what? And then somebody will do something stupid. I mean, it's just, it's <laughs> Murphy's law. Murphy's real. Okay. <laughs> He's awesome. And you learn, you get problems, and then you dive in and you solve them and you become more valuable. It's not, it's not what you're building. It's who you're becoming. Okay. And as you do that, it will automate. Those seven steps are automation, and they're also freedom and joy and everything else. You said a lot of cool things today. Two things that really resonated for me, and they're small, but they just spoke to me. When you started out talking about your businesses, I loved how you said, just by the fact of accumulating a bunch of businesses doesn't really mean a lot unless you're doing it well. Because I can't tell you how many times you know, you will hear people, You know, I'm in the world of business coaching, so I get people that come to me, and they've got, they'll have five businesses, but none of them are doing well. And so they keep opening another one or keep doing another one. And it's, it's kind of like that baby analogy is a child analogy is awesome. It's like not really being able to have a good family. And yet you keep having kids. I mean, it's like solve the problem first and then, and then look at other opportunities. So I, I love that. Oh, and then the other thing. I bet you get a lot also where they come in and they're like, my revenue is $80 billion. You're like, how much do you make? 
Yeah, totally, 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 totally. Oh, yeah. Revenues, vanity, profits, or sanity. Sanity, yeah. I love that thing. Yeah. The other thing I love that you said, you were just talking about your projected numbers, and that really stuck out to me is you said, if we execute. So it's that just spoke to me a little bit in terms of, you know, it's not given. You got to execute. You got to follow the plan. And and it's nice to have those projections, but you got to be able to execute on them. And I loved that kind of jumped out at me too. Uh, there were a lot of things, but those two things really resonated with me. And, and the level you talk at and, and you think, man, just blows my mind. But Hey, I want to end with one question. I want to be respectful of your time. I'd love to end with a question around either a life tip or a business tip, something that you've on your journey have learned that you could share with us. Does something stand out for you? Sure. I've got one thing that maybe will sum up my entire talk. Okay. And it's what every billionaire I've ever talked to talks about. It's what every radically successful, whether it's money, faith, whatever, they all talk about the same thing. And this is where 99% of your listeners and frankly, earth fails. Everyone thinks ownership is about possession. It's not. Ownership is about responsibility. The moment you have responsibility, you have power. The moment you give away your responsibility and you start thinking it's about possession, you've lost power and somebody else is about to own what you have. Wow. That's powerful. I get it. I get it. That makes a lot of sense. Hey, so your website, theprestonbrown.com, one more time, theprestonbrown.com. I'll put this in the show notes at thinktyler.com. If people wanted to reach out to you, uh, anywhere else you'd like them to go? Yeah. I mean, my website's a great place. It's attached to all my social medias. Uh, you can get me through there. You can get me through my my Instagram, my Facebook. They're all the same, uh, Preston Brown. And uh, you know, I, I hope to connect with folks. I mean, anybody that has questions, shoot them wherever. Awesome. And what's your client profile? You work with clients now in terms of helping them grow their businesses. Is that correct? Yeah, I have I have two client profiles. We have an offer on my website, which is thepressonbrown.com and it's $2,000 package. And you get me on a live Zoom every Friday or one of my coaches and mentors every Friday, but I'm on there a lot of the time for a year for two grand. And that's where we solve the finance issues. Life's about faith, family, fitness, finance, right? So for two grand, you get into this group, it's group Zoom, and you will, I mean, you will get direct engagement. We will solve your business problems. It is the stupidest deal we've ever given because it's so valuable, Simon funny. That program eventually graduates and you get an invite potentially to Your Best Life. And it's another website I have, uh, yblnow.com or yourbestlifenow.com. I don't even remember which one the website is. We don't market. We don't do anything. Uh, there's five different billionaires in the group. Most of the folks are decamillionaires, centimillionaires. And we put on these crazy, amazing trips. We bring out speakers. Like we had Dr. John Gray, who wrote Men Are From Mars and Are From Venus, go with our group to Rwanda on a gorilla track and spend four days in one of the most magical places on earth. I mean, and so you get to hang out with those who have earth and become one of the world changers too. So I, I have two client profiles, the ones that want to get there and the ones that are there. And honestly, the only difference is, is, is one thing. And, and who knows, maybe this will crown out our talk today. The word believe is a root word that comes from the words be love. And that is the difference is the ones at the top have figured out how to believe. And the ones at the bottom haven't figured out how to believe in themselves. Does that make sense? And everything else follows, bro. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, Preston, thank you so much for your time and thanks for sharing your wisdom. Um, really excited to publish this show. I know people are going to get a lot out of it. Thank you for having me, Tyler. I appreciate you. Okay, take care. 
That's all for this episode of Think Business with Tyler. But we have plenty more resources to help you in your pursuit of business excellence on our website at thinktyler.com. If you'd like to be featured in a future episode of the show, feel free to reach out to us on social media at think underscore Tyler. We look forward to helping you think life, think success, and think business. Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives activities from the previous session, free from bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an electric cast production. Today is working for me. Do you believe that for yourself? Hey, I'm Pastor Julie, and I want to empower you through encouragement, inviting you to my podcast, Big Truth Encouragement, where I unpack living a faith-filled life. I created my podcast for the ladies, but gentlemen, you'll gain something too. So I invite you to listen to Big Truth Encouragement on ElectroCast and any platform where you listen to your podcast. Electricast. Electricast.